0: I don't know if you remember as a child asking the question. I do. And I remember um, adults asking me the question. And if you didn't ask the question or weren't asked the question, then you certainly thought about the question. And the question was, what do I want to be when I grow up, right? What do I want to be when I grow up? And um, for young boys, it almost always comes down to two main choices, doesn't it? Uh, Fireman and a police officer. I mean, come on. Those are like the coolest things when you're a kid. You get to drive around in a shiny red truck with, a, with hoses and wearing helmets. I mean, that's cool. And a really loud siren. Or a police officer, you know, with the hat and the badge and the radio and the gun and the nightstick. It's not quite Batman, but it's almost there. You know, those were kind of the two main choices. Me, I, uh, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid. Um, because my dad told me they make a lot of money, or so they say. And, uh, and my uncle was a judge in Southern California, so I think that kind of tipped me in that direction and bought little books on how to be a lawyer when I was six, you know, <laughs> six years old learning how to—obviously, I didn't become a lawyer. Um, but I, I would imagine that, that you probably had uh, an answer to that question, too, like, what do, you wa- what do I want to be when I grow up? And sometimes it's a veterinarian or a nurse or a doctor or um, a builder a construction worker or uh, an engineer. I don't know what the answer was for you. Uh, But I find it interesting in reflecting on the question, what do I want to be when I grow up, that we almost always answer it in terms of vocation. That is what we're going to do. Rarely do we answer that question in terms of quality of one's moral life. Like, when I grow up, what I want to be is a really humble man. Never hear that response, do you? Or, when I grow up, I want to be a really wise person. We typically think or answer the question in terms of vocation, what we're going to do in terms of a job. Now, that's telling, I think, Um, that there is something in us from a very young age that knows that we're supposed to do something with our lives. We we know instinctively that we're supposed to, like, um, fulfill a purpose in life of some kind or another, and then we try and figure out what that is. Now, that's from the young age. Now, flip to the end of life and research has shown, and I think you you know this overwhelmingly, that people who retire early from their vocation tend to, and the percentage is pretty high, tend to die early. That's, that's interesting that a person comes to the end of their vocational life and they retire and shortly after they die. More so than people who have an extended vocation in life. That's interesting. That means just from a purely human vantage point, experiential vantage point, that there is this connection between life and work, between living and vocation. And I believe in this third part of the series is because part of our humanity was meant to be vocational. That it's, it's, it's part of the DNA of how God constructed us to fulfill a purpose, to do something with our lives, now, I've chosen to um, use the word vocation. And if I could retitle my message, I would have said, who am I made for vocation? Because from all everything I've read, the word vocation came from um, Christian roots. Um, it actually comes from the same root word where we get vocalize or vocals, right? Have to do with the voice. And so when Christians centuries back would talk about a person's vocation, what they're talking about, what God has called you, vocalized you to. A vocation. Your life's call. So let's just kind of, great word, right, vocation. Just understand it has Christian roots. What what has God called me to do with my life in this world? That is um, the question we're going to explore this morning. Now, if you have not been with us, the first, first answer to the question, who am I, came down to, listen, and this is fundamental to all the other messages. I was, we were made for God made for a relationship with God. He is like the center of the hub of a wheel, and everything else rotates around our relationship with God. That's step one. We saw last week that we were also made into a we. We were made communal beings, and uh, we're part of, as Christians, a a community called the church, or the bride of Christ, or um, or the kingdom of God. That's, That's what we're part of, and to recognize we're part of a we. And this third one is to recognize that That another part of our humanity is this vocational idea, that we were made to do something. And it's innate within us. Now, to explore this, I want to take us back because I think some of you are thinking, well, my vocations isn't all that fun. Well, let's let's just kind of understand this from kind of looking at the Bible in terms of a big picture. Um, Let's go back to the beginning. And what I want to show you is that God constructed us to be vocational people. People who work, people who perform a function and fulfill a purpose in life. So, creation and vocation. All right, back to the very beginning, to the opening story of where we come from. This is what we read. Now, we looked pretty extensively at verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1, which tells us that we're made in the likeness of God, which is where our nobility and our, our value comes from, um, and why human life is so precious, because we're made in the image of God. Beginning in verse 28, we find the very first mandate, or we might call it the first vocational mandate, of what we're supposed to do on this planet. Okay? Now, let me just encourage you to, to follow me mentally in this process. Because I think what you'll discover is, is a number of things. But one of them is that, man, the Bible tells a singular story of God's conquest. And tells a singular story in terms of who we were created to be. So here's the mandate. Many of you are familiar with it. And God blessed them, that is the the man and the woman, and said to them, these are the commands, this is the vocation, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Just as a side comment, God didn't have a problem with population. (laughs) He, he, He commanded us to fill the earth and to subdue it and to have dominion, you know, like a kingdom, kingdom, dominion, has to do with rule and oversight and management. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, the, the, like, the the, the the general mandate is that we're supposed to fill earth and then we're supposed to rule or exercise dominion over it. Or to put it in... Uh, slightly different language is to expand God's dominion um, his kingdom over the whole earth starts in the garden of eden but it's supposed to extend and fill the entire earth God's reign God's kingdom over the whole earth that's that's basically what, what what the essential mandate for our humanity was back at the very beginning now chapter one gives us that mandate which is very general Chapter 2 of Genesis kind of expands a little bit and gives us a picture. Now, most of us when we use or think of the word rule or exercise dominion, often it has negative connotations to it because many of us have seen the abuse or exploitation um, in terms of the use of authority. But that's not how it was designed to be. Um, in this particular case, it was not an exploitive kind of dominion. It was a care and a management and a love and a benevolent um, ordering of things. And that's what comes to, to light in chapter 2. Is that there are varied, if you will, um, vocations in the overarching expansion of God's rule on planet Earth. Naturally, Eve... Uh, The woman, her primary, though not exclusive vocation, was to be a wife and to be a mother. Her name was given to signify the mother of all living. She was to be the mother of the grand mosaic of God's people as they expanded and filled the earth. That was was her primary, though not exclusive, vocation as a mother. Adams was slightly different. Again, giving us the indication that there, there are varied ways in which, varied vocations in which, they were to carry out this mandate the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to work it and keep it so here you have him working and keeping the garden and work actually interesting word hebrew word um is used in other contexts for priests work unto the lord service to the lord and i think there's intentional um use of that word here in which adam was to do his work as worship unto the lord um in his gardening and keeping of of what God had planted. So that's what he was supposed to do. He was to cultivate what God had planted, to preserve what God had planted, and to make it flourish. Um, Ideally, if they wouldn't have fell, they would have had to make the garden bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon the whole earth would be a garden. In verse 19, now verse 15, we see his relationship to plant life. John Muir was not the first environmentalist. Adam was all right He was intended to take care of things, our planet. Um, verse 19 it talks about his relationship with animal life, and it's verse 19 says, "Now out of the, ground the Lord, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast and field and every bird and heavens and brought them to the man to see what he, the man would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. This assumes cooperation amongst the entire animal kingdom. There was no animosity. There was no um, enmity between animal life and human life. In fact, what we see here is that, that Adam's vocation was to exercise sovereign care over the animals. I mean, when you name something, that is a, that is an expression of one's ownership and also care. And when you name something, you're also distinguishing it and you're ordering things. So you kind of put those together to get a more precise understanding of human vocation at the beginning um, is this. Is the expanding of the kingdom through sovereign care, order, and cultivation of creation. That, That was our original mandate. To make creation flourish. God gave us that responsibility. That was our vocation. That's what we were called to do. Our work. Now most of us, when we think of work... Like I said, it has negative connotations. We say things like, "Well, I, uh, I I work to live; I don't live to work." <laughs> and I understand the thought behind that. That's not how it was. Work was not frustrating. Work was was free. And it was something that was a pure joy to do. It might be a little bit like you find a good musician who just loves to play music. Them playing music, it's not a work, it's a love. It's an expression of delight. Or a painter who loves to paint and not doing it for money, just doing it because they love to paint. We were meant to love what we do. We were meant to do it with delight as an expression of gratitude and praise to God. We were to love our work. And that's originally how it was created to be, it's where it's like, I can't wait to go to work. I can't wait to do what you've created me to do. Like a musician playing a song or a, or a painter painting a piece of art. That's, that's how it was intended to be. And you think about it, you realize all of creation, if you will, have their own little vocations. And trees were intended to have purpose and function, to grow tall and provide shade and oxygen and and fruit and, and, and o- I said oxygen, plants, the same thing. And fish were meant to swim and birds were meant to fly and animals were meant to run. All with their own distinctive little contributions to make to the overarching harmonious whole. It well, stands to reason if all the creation was that way, then we were created that way too. And there, you, you sense that in your, in your soul as a young person. is like, a, what do we want to be? You sense that, like you want it. But then you get there and you find out it's frustrating. It's not everything I thought it was. Being a police officer with a gun or with a stick or a fire engine driver is not everything it was cracked up to be. People you work with aren't always super nice. The people you work for are always nice. And the, the equipment may not work. Which brings, that's what we're created to do. Love our work as unto the Lord. So, so why is it we desire it, but we find ourselves frustrated with it? Well, there was a major alteration that took place. And I'm not going to belabor the point of the fall, but simply Adam and Eve were dethroned when they, when they trespassed, when they, when they sinned, when they reached for something beyond the Lord. And everything changed. Everything. Morally, spiritually, and physically. Things changed. That's what the Bible says in chapter 3. Everything is good in the first two chapters, chapters three, chapter three, everything crashes. And as a result, including vocation, what we were meant to do, what we were supposed to love to do, became altered in a way that affected us in at least three ways. That our work became frustrated or frustrating, it became filled with pain. And it became futile. Which is why work has such negative connotations. That is the corruption of our vocation. Of who we were supposed to be and do. To Eve, remember her primary vocation, though not exclusive vocation, was to be the mother of all living. The Lord comes to her after they had, had, had fallen and were guilty and sensed their shame... To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, second time he uses that word, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That's marital conflict. Both of her vocations of wife is now frustrated with with power struggles. And now her, 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 her vocation of being a mother is now painful. Now, it may be hard to... Conceive women, moms. But you were not supposed to have pain in childbirth. You were not supposed to have morning sickness in being pregnant. You were not supposed to have stretch marks (laughs) as a result of childbirth. Now, again, you say, well, I can't conceive that. Remember, listen, sin changed everything. We tend to think it changed us morally and spiritually. But it changes, changed the physicality of things, too. Things were physically different. There was not meant to be pain or suffering. It was absent before. Could you imagine having a baby and it being pure joy? This is awesome. You didn't worry about it. You didn't need a doctor because, you know, everything was perfect. Now it's frustrated. Now it's painful. Adam, same thing. What he was meant to do. To Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree which I commanded you. And that was the test, right? Am I enough for you, Adam and Eve? And they reached across and basically said to the Lord, you're not enough. Um, You shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground. I mean, what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to cultivate the ground. That's supposed to order uh, life and now the, the ground is going to rebel against him. Now the, the creation itself will work against mankind. That's, that's that, the frustration. In pain, there's that word again. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Now, it's, now, now it's, you're going to bleed. You're going to have um, stickers inside of you when you do this. And you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat. And There's the labor. There's the toiling that is not good or not fun of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken um, for you were dust and you shall return to the dust you and I know what it's frustration is like right you want to take your wife out to a, a wonderful anniversary dinner and you plan it weeks ahead which I know all of you guys do right you plan your anniversary weeks ahead And you you have it down to every detail, the restaurant, everything. And you get in the car, and um, and and then you spill coffee on yourself. And then next thing you know, you're headed to the restaurant, and you have a flat tire. And then you get to the restaurant, and you find a hair in your food, (laughs) which then turns into a fight with your wife, and you go home from your nice little anniversary plan, more frustrated and angry than you left. Frustration. Nothing ever goes as planned. It's Murphy's Law at work and everything. Frustrating our, 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 our attempts to do stuff. That's frustration. It's pain. And then there's the futility aspect, and that's more implied than anything else. Bottom line, God says you're going to die, which means everything you've worked for, your whole life, your vocational output, is going to be taken away. you lose it. So what's the point of all the work? and not only will you lose it but the work itself will decay because of the fall it will it will rust it will erode it will be stolen it will fall apart so what the point what's the point of vocation that's the futility of it there's an entire book in the bible given to the futility of work ecclesiastes he comes to the conclusion looking around saying if we all die then what's the point of anything and his his statement is meaningless meaningless says the teacher utterly meaningless our vocation has been corrupted what's the point what's the point that's why work is hard right? and it, it, does this fit maybe a little bit of our human experience i just i think so i think spot on it wasn't meant to be that way we were created for vocation we were created to do something wonderful as image bearers of god it was corrupted now it's frustrated painful and futile but here's the thing Like I said, the God of the Bible is not a person who abandons his purposes. What he began in the beginning, he would continue and fulfill in the end. What was lost in chapter 3, in this particular case, our our vocation, is going to be restored. Restored. And that's precisely what Jesus came to do, to restore us, to redeem us, and to reclaim what's been lost in all of its facets. So Jesus came, as you well know, and if you don't know, you need to know it, is that Jesus came first and foremost to die, to wipe out our sin, to reconnect us to our primary, the hub of the wheel, God himself. He made relationship possible a sinner cannot relate to a, to a holy God unless there's atonement. So he made that possible, that relationship. Uh, through his spirit and through his blood, we begin to experience greater relationship with other Christian people. That is that horizontal we comes into being. But there's this third aspect we don't often talk about, and that is the restoration and the reclaiming of our vocation. In a way that reverses this Corruption. Reverses this growth. Now, this is where, again, I want you to just. We're talking the difference between when Genesis was written, probably around 14 BC, 1400 BC, and the time in which the Gospel of Matthew was written, was like 1500 years. But after Jesus had atoned for sin, after he'd accomplished that. Substitutionary work that made it possible for us to be back together with God and which dethroned the devil forever. Basically, what does he do? But he gives us a a recommission. We often detach what I'm about to read from Genesis 1, which I think is a massive mistake. Here's our vocation recommissioned in Christ. When he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he's now saying, the authority that Adam once had and lost has been given back to me as a result of my great work. He now has supreme reigns over all things. He's king. And now he gives the vocation to his followers. This is what they're to do, the overarching general vocation that all of us As Christians are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all nations, all over the earth. The extent is the whole earth, Jesus is saying, making disciples, that is, citizens of my kingdom, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. That in our living, in our working, in whether it's a, a teaching or you're a professor or you're a builder or you're an architect, in all of those things, as we both live the gospel and speak the gospel, we are to advance God's rule on the earth. Do you see Genesis 1.28 and Matthew 28, 18 and following? It's the same message. God is reclaiming, His kingdom over all the earth through what Christ has done, and we are commissioned in that vocation. So that when you get to the end, you find the original purposes complete. Here's Revelation chapter uh, 5, where there's this great song. Um, in heaven, that's it's a, the apocalyptic visions of John, and he sees all the angels and the four living creatures, and he sees a throne, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a vision. And um, he sees everybody singing this song to the Lamb, who is Jesus, from the, from the root of David. And this, listen to what they sing. It says, and they sang a new song, these people who have been redeemed, the great people, who know who they are, related to God and related to each other. Uh, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God that's the redemption what he's done from every tribe and language and people and nation that is all over the planet earth and you have made them and here comes vocational language a kingdom of priests priests who serve to our God and they shall what's that next word reign Genesis 128 exercise dominion over the earth after you fill it. Here it is. At the very end of the Bible, as a result of Christ coming and redeeming and claiming and forgiving and all of that stuff, we find their people are reigning on the earth. They're fulfilling the original mandate of Adam, of of caring for and ordering and cultivating the flourishing of God's creation in all of its aspects. Every bit as environmental then as at the beginning. So it, and it, notice so the simple fact that we, they shall reign and it's a continual thing. Vocation doesn't end in the new creation. It doesn't end in heaven. We still have jobs to do. We have work to do. But it's freed from pain and futility and frustration. But here's the thing. That vocation begins here and now. Now, I've already kind of alluded to it, but... It begins here and now, and it's no longer futile. Whatever we do in the name of the Lord, as unto the Lord as people, regardless of what the vocation is, has eternal consequences or eternal, um, what do you want to call it, uh, rewards. I mean, that, that's why Paul could say, this is taken out of Colossians 3.23, and he's speaking to those who are in a, in a structured system of slavery. Christians who came to know the Lord, who were who were owned by other people. Listen to what he says. Whatever you do, that's the vocation. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive. This is the future reward for living a present vocation in the name of Jesus as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's remarkable. Because that means Whatever you are doing, whether you're selling real estate or you are teaching a class or you are, you are a, a nurse that are caring for people in, in a hospital, um, you're a full-time stay-at-home mom, that that vocation as done unto the Lord is not futile anymore. It lasts into eternity is what he's saying. No more futility for the Christian. We can't say meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. No, because of what Jesus has done, it all is meaningful. It it lasts forever. We're new creatures in Christ, and what we're doing is, 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 is expanding and doing new creation work. That means our vocation is no longer futile. Our present work has eternal significance. And here's the thing. I already re- referenced this, but I want to say it again, that our vocation will continue in the new earth. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, and, and Revelation 22, five. What that means is that your vision of heaven, and I prefer to call it the vision of the new earth, because we end up back here. Heaven comes to earth we don't like float off into some existence. That the whole of the Bible screams that God's going to reclaim His earth too, resurrect His earth too. In other words, this is our home, just not quite yet. But that means that in our, our vision of the end, we're still going to have meaningful work to do. We're not going to sit in a big, huge chapel singing out of hymnals for all eternity. It's going to be a place that'll be freed I mean, again. Depending on how you, 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 you interpret Isaiah 65, which talks about the new heaven and new earth, there are, going, there are going to be cities to be run. There are going to be buildings that need to be built. There are crops that need to be planted. There are vineyards that need to be planted and wine to be made. That's in there. That's just a, a some of them. Like, In other words, it's a fully operational society in which we love to do what he made us to do. Singers and songwriters. Only no more frustration, no more pain. No more futility. Imagine. Everything you experience is to the fullest. In your vocation, whatever it is. You love it. Man, I love God. Everywhere I look, I see him. I'm doing what he called me to do. I love it. He's gifted me to do this. I love seeing other people do this. Look at the creation. He shines in this everywhere. God, that's, that, that. But you're going to have a job is what I'm saying. Vocation is eternal because it's part of who we are. It's part of who we are, and in Christ it's recovered. Does that mean that right here, right now, when we work, it's, it's going to be easy? No. Like I said, right now, we, we operate in a fallen, broken, cursed world. There is no such thing as a perfect vocation, and everybody in here knows that. And if you're too young to know that yet, you will know it soon enough. It's broken. Everything is broken. But in Christ, we find it begins to be recovered. So what does this mean for us? Let me just kind of bring this to a close with three applicational points. All right? Yeah, hopefully, you've got the thought down. Your vocation matters. It it has eternal significance. You are not saved by it, but you were saved for it. To serve the Lord in the unique way that he is gifted to you. And it is fully and completely sacred, not secular. One implication or application. Simply this. If you're a believer here and you do know that Christ has redeemed your heart, embrace the truth that Christ has redeemed your soul and your vocation. When he paid the price for your sin and you accepted it by faith, you became his. I became his. And that includes everything that I am and everything that I will ever do is now his. And it's to be lived out in honor and service to him and to the flourishing of his creation. In our gospel living, living out what we believe, in our gospel speaking, um, we are to um, live out our vocation as unto him. So you you have to see it that way. I know it's hard. We tend to make a big distinction between I work out in the world and Dan Deckard, he works in the church. His is sacred, mind secular. Uh, The Bible would say that's a bunch of garbage. All Christian work is sacred. Two, and this comes from, If you, Martin Luther was one of those guys, not the Martin Luther king, but the guy that he was named after, the German, you know, 500 years before. And he was an Augustinian monk who believed in this special sacred class of people before the Reformation. And then there was the rest of the secular people. But then he had this, this, this you know illumination this conversion in the gospel and he came to realize that all vocations are sacred to the lord and he was the biggest proponent of it and one of the things that he believed is that your your vocation this is this should be encouraging to you and you could probably think in your head what is it um what is your vocation right now what is it you do even if you've retired from your vocation you should still should have another vocation right we never give up on life we never stop doing something My father retired after 36 years of teaching fifth grade. Then he became a pastor. Then he became a tutor. He's still tutoring. 79 years old. You never give up on on, on vocational life. You always serve. Whatever it is. It is the primary means by which God has given you to love your neighbor. Did you see your work that way? It is the primary means by which you are to love your neighbor in your job. So execute your vocation, and we have multiple vocations. I'm a father. That's part of my calling. I am also a pastor. That's another part of my calling. We have multiple things. But to execute your vocation, especially the one that you spend eight hours a day, five days a week or more doing, as the primary means by which you love your neighbor. It's not the primary means by which you make money. If that's your primary motivation in going to work every day, you have a false primary motivation. Now, granted, we need money to live and to eat and put a roof over our heads, but your job is a means of loving people. Almost any job you can name benefits mankind somehow, unless you're a terrorist or a porn star. (laughs) It's true. I mean, I appreciate the fact that the guy from Solano Garbage comes and picks up my garbage every week. So do you. Whether you realize it or not, man, we'd be up to our ears in garbage and stench if he didn't serve us that way. But imagine if each day, as a Christian person, he realized, you know what? I benefit the people I serve, and I do this as love to my neighbor. That revolutionizes the way we see our work, and that, that, that's how we ought to see it. You're supposed to love people through your work, love your students through your work, love your, your, your patients through your work, love the people you're building houses for through your work, whatever it is, love your people. And that's part of our vocation that makes the world a better place. I told you, Martin Luther, this is a, just give you a little Martin Luther himself. He said this, he said, in his, in his vocation, man does works which affect the well-being of others. For so God has made all offices, that is, all those places that people serve. Through this work in man's offices, God's creative work does, um, goes forward, and that creative work is love. A profusion of good gifts. With persons as his hands and co-workers... God gives his gifts through the earthly vocations toward man's life on earth. Food through farmers, fishermen, and hunters. External peace through princes, judges, and orderly powers. Knowledge and education through teachers and parents, etc., etc. Through the preacher's vocation, God gives the forgiveness of sins. This love comes from God flowing down to human beings on earth through all vocations, through both spiritual and earthly governments. That's amazing. And the final, if it comes up, application point. Because I can hear the question, well, I don't know what, what my vocation is. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, and this is some of the best advice I've ever heard. Begin your vocation where you are with what you're already doing. God in his providence has already put you in a location. Start right there. He's probably already given you some things to do, whether it's in your home or out out in the workplace. He's already given you, start right there. You don't need to go looking for it. Just start right there. Doing, as an act of love for God first and other people, your vocation. I said it was good advice. Um, This comes from an author by the name of Gene Vaith. He, He writes, essentially... One's vocation is to be found in the place one occupies in the present. A person stuck in a... This is for all of you who might find yourself in a dead-end job that you don't like. A person stuck in a dead-end job may have higher ambitions. And that's not a bad thing. But for the moment, that job, however humble, is one's vocation. Flipping hamburgers, cleaning hotel rooms, emptying bedpans, all have dignity as vocations Spheres of expressing love to neighbor through selfless service in which God is masked. That is, God is underneath these things loving people. Perhaps later another vocation will present itself. But vocation is to be found not simply in future career decisions, but in the here and the now. So the main point of this is like Christians, whatever your vocation is at the present already, recognize That because Christ has redeemed your life and your work, that it is eternal. And to give yourself fully and completely to it. Because that's part of how we were made and what has been given back to us as a result of Jesus. I I, I pray this this will actually have an effect on how we see our lives. And what you do outside these walls matters. Big time and to just go for your vocation and enjoy it as a gift from the Lord and as a means of grace to our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you that your word um, has given us wisdom by which we can understand ourselves, that we were created for, for relationship with you, we were created for relationship with each other, and we were created with a positive relationship with this world. And Lord, we know one day that that world in which you made will come back to perfect peace we know that the wolf will one day lie down with the lamb we know that the leopard will lie down next to the calf there will be no more frustration there will be no more um, working against what you have created us to be but until then lord we just ask help ask you to help us just be faithful thank you for your word thank you for christ in his name we pray amen at this time For those of you who have come for the baptism, we have um, the opportunity to uh, witness three, I think it's three baptisms this morning. And just to clarify, baptism is not magical. It is an outward way of showing that we are one with Christ, that we um, are with him in his death, and we are with him in his resurrection, the going down and the coming back up. So this is a public way in which um, Christ has called us to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. So with that, Tony, I'm going to turn it over to you.